0: Well, welcome, uh, add my welcome as I do every week. Good to be here and, uh, share the morning with you. Um, got your Bibles, just open them up or leave them open to where they were. Where, as we've seen, we're in Galatians 5. Uh, we have a bit to get through, so we're just gonna, we're just gonna get into it. Uh, we'll pray and then we'll get to work. Um, yeah, loving Father, we just, uh, our prayer right now is that you would convict us in truth. Uh, that your spirit would illuminate our hearts to your grace in ways that shape us and transform us, that we would um, see your glory, that we would find it uh, beautiful, that we would find it most desiring above all other things, and that would transform us and lead us into deep joy. Lead our hearts and our minds to truth that shapes our lives as we read and learn from your word. Um, we start with a little story, and i 'm not sure whether the story is true it 's more than likely true, uh, or whether it 's a, a parable that that sort of emerged out of what happened around that time. It comes from uh, the Civil War in America uh, days before uh, before the Civil War ended, days before uh, the slaves in America were emancipated, were free, had the, had the same rights as everybody else it 's a story about a northerner. Uh, who went to a slave auction and purchased a young slave girl. And as they walked away from the auction, the man just turned to the girl and said, You're free. And with amazement, words she'd never heard before, she responded, You mean I'm free to do whatever I want? And he said, Yes. You mean I'm I'm free to say whatever I want? Yes, anything. And, and free to, to be wherever I want to be. Yeah, you're free. And and even to go wherever I want to go. And he answered with a smile, you are free to go wherever you'd like to go. And she looked at him intently and said, then I will follow you. The story, parabolic or true, sums up why Paul is so strident and so confident that an encounter with God's grace that births in us a faith in Christ alone is enough, is all we need. Is all that is needed to compel a heart to live a life that follows, that pursues holiness. But for people like the Judaizers, a group of teachers that was militating around in the, in the Galatian church, uh, at, at, at that time, and they still exist in various degrees today. They in amongst us and, and start to speak certain, uh, false gospels. There, they were, this is a dangerous concept. This idea of grace, this idea that, that, that just an encounter with a loving action to an undeserving person is enough. Is dangerous because what it does is it removes laws. It, move, it removes the means of approval that, that we have to have, uh, and it paves the way for for license. It, it paves the way for licentious living. You cannot possibly mean, Paul, that we are free to do whatever we want, free uh, free to do whatever our hearts desire. That is dangerous. And Paul's response is if it, if it hasn't been, it's not dangerous if it's been set free by an act of grace. The heart will follow grace. But piously, they say, if we, don't have, if we don't have these behavioral uh, compliance uh, motivators to regulate our church, to describe the standard of life, that our church should have a standard of life, that we can say this should please God, the church is going to fall apart. It's just going to turn into anarchy. But we know, given the context and the content of what we have read so far in Galatians, what these people are really holding on to is not piety, It's not a desire for holiness, but rather it's control, it's self-righteousness. Their legalism, they're, they're following the rules, the, the church rules, is their means of demanding their approval, of pointing to it and saying, aha, you see, I am good enough. But here's the thing, it's a fear-based religion that they are promoting, that they are getting into the church and and. and, and Speaking and it, and it enslaves people. It enslaves them. Paul's claim to the Christian who lives by faith, or his claim is that the Christian who lives by faith is not going to become a rebel, is not going to just free wheel into anarchy because faith makes Jesus the most precious, uh, beautiful desire of the human heart. I will follow you, says the heart, in response to the liberty from sin that Jesus has paid for us. You see, sinful living, rebellious living, licentious living, is not overcome by by merely uh, working harder at being good. It's overcome by perceiving something else as more desirable. It's overcome by experiencing something else as more satisfying. If Jesus has become a greater desire, a more satisfying promise, a more satisfying reality, you will choose to follow him. I will follow you, will be the glad submission of the human heart, not a begrudging duty. Warren Weasby says, No man, no woman could become a rebel who depends on God's grace, who is led by God's spirit, whose heart finds Christ desirable and then lives for others and seeks to glorify God. No no person in that lane could possibly become a rebel. The beginning of chapter 5 is really a banner statement about this, a banner statement under which the book of Galatians is unfolding. For freedom, Christ has set us free Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We we looked at this a little bit last week. So often, as Christians, we kind of roll, uh, we like to talk about, we, we often focus on what we've been saved from. You know, we've been saved from sin. We've been saved from going to hell. We've been saved from all these terrible things. Jesus has saved us from something. But here, Paul says, something rather more wonderful. We have been saved, we have been set free for something, to something. It's not just a make it up as you go. You were saved, you were set free, now who who knows what's going to happen Or, or do whatever you feel right. Freedom that you've been saved to is something and it's a something in which you can stand firm so we've been saved from legalism which manifests itself as a fear-based behaviour modification. That's what legalism is. It tries to modify behaviour through fear. Here are the rules, don't do them punishment. Where we try, we try with exhausting frustration to keep the rules, to meet some constantly uh, disappearing horizon of approval, some kind of standard. It's empty religion by whereby you are the one who is deciding uh, that some sort of religious practice, that some level of holiness is going to give you a right standing before God, legalism. That's what one of the things we've been saved from. And we've been saved from, the other end of the scale, we've been saved from license, where we have to be our own God. We decide how life is to be lived, what's good, what's bad. And now that just sounds awesome, until we have to deal with something bigger than us like suffering, like loss, like death. And if you have to provide the answers to stuff like that, then the weight of that is going to crush you. It will lead to anger. It will lead to bitterness. It will lead to frustration. It will lead to resentment. Unless you have submitted to something bigger than you to explain what's happening to you, you're just going to blow up at some point. You make a crummy God. And you better hope that whatever it is that you find bigger than you is a caring deity is one that's for your well-being now what's wonderful about the gospel of grace that Paul has been going on about is this I've been set free from fear-based behavioral modification for into loved-based transformation isn't that a great sentence? I liked it. I wished I'd come up with it. It's not mine. It's Matt Chandler's. I couldn't improve it, so I stole it. Hoping you'd be impressed. We've been saved from fear-based modification for into love-based transformation. We've been set free from being my own God to resting in being a child of God, adopted, We have a father, a caring father, who's for our well-being. This is the freedom you now live in. Your acceptance, your moral improvement, your position before God is not based in how good you are, but through faith that Jesus makes us accepted. True freedom is found in, in what Christ delivers Stand firm in that reality. Don't, don't drift back. As a, as a believer, don't drift back to legalism or license. How? How do we stand firm? Stand firm, Paul says. Well, we've been saying it all along, and Matt Chandler actually agrees with us, uh, that, we, that how we stand firm is we never move far from the gospel. So we preach the gospel to ourselves continuously. Remember when we said, who needs the gospel And what did we say? Us. Every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year. Yeah? We cannot move away from it. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We meditate upon the gospel. And the gospel does what? It declares that we have the just judge of the universe, God himself, declaring us as holy, spotless and righteous in his sight. And also we have a Father in heaven who has given us the Holy Spirit by which we do what? We cry, Abba, Father, Dad, God, Dad. Not only are we forgiven by the judge, but we are loved by the Father. When you meditate on those two things, you think on those two things, you don't move away from those two things. When those realities that are found in Christ, that Christ has set us free for and into, become the greatest experience, the greatest desire of your heart, they become the fuel, the motive of love that moves us in transformation within us and holds us in place. That's the transforming power in our lives, not our own efforts, not our legalism, not our license. Stand firm in what Christ has done. Let that be the treasure, the motive of your heart. Let that set you free from legalism, from from license. And put a new motive of experienced love into your heart. Stand firm in that. Paul says in verse 2, If you accept another means to gain approval, if you want to slide to something else, or maybe, maybe you're just in that space, you haven't ever gotten out of it. If you want to, if you want to accept another means to gain an approval, such as requiring circumcision, is the example that he uses here. And some of you, perhaps 50% of you, are like, hey, I was an unwilling participant in that. I couldn't even talk. It wasn't my fault. Paul is not meaning the operation itself. What he is meaning is what it represents, which is basically, for them, it represents an example of external actions, external religious practice as a means of acceptance. In that case, if you want to use religious practice as a mean of acceptance, Jesus loses his value as being sufficient. The moment you add anything to Jesus like your church attendance, your impressive driving record, the fact that you haven't, cu- I haven't killed anybody, haven't had an affair, kids are all baptised and leading youth, you've ticked all the boxes of, of good church life. The minute that is your means of approval, that's the thing that you take comfort in, that's the thing you push up as your CV for God to read as He goes to sleep at night, for your approval, you in effect reveal that you are not resting in Jesus, but in your religious and moral efforts. That's the system that you've brought into. That's the system of salvation for you. Legalism, not grace. Paul says, if you want that system and you buy into it at one point, legalism, you you can't, you can't pick and choose. If it's not Jesus then you are obligated to the whole law. You are obligated to that whole system of salvation. You must keep it perfectly. You must keep it completely. And we have seen that that is impossible, that that is crushing. And when you say that, when you do that, when you say, I can save myself, you are publicly severing yourself from Jesus and falling away from grace, which just essentially means the same thing. To separate yourself from Christ and to fall away from grace is just saying the same thing twice. You are making a, a public and existing reality in your life, in your heart. Paul is actually not actually talking about believers here. He's speaking in a way to the Jesusisers, to people who boast in law keeping, to people who only use this system as a means of salvation, not those who slide into it occasionally or drift into it occasionally, but those who, who hang on to this system as their means. It's not describing a loss of salvation as some might think or claim. This is a public affirmation of what was never there. This is what John writes about in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us. We looked at this when we were in 1 John they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it might become plain that they all are not of us. So what the Bible teaches about salvation is if you are truly converted and saved, you will pre- preserve to the end. God will hold you to the end. It's the work of his spirit to do that. Where you are not truly converted, you, 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 may, you won't preserve to the end. Hopefully, at some point you you change that reality. That's what Philippians is on about. That's what John's on about. In John ten, you know, who, who can take out of out of my hand? What nothing can take out of the Father's hand what He's put there. Paul is not speaking though about drifting to and struggling with legalism and license. He is saying if you persistently and continuously and only rely on your efforts. Uh, your practice, that's the system you rely on and there is no delight in your heart for Jesus. You need to know that your reality is you are severed from Christ, you are away from grace. He has no value to you. His death holds no power in your life. There is no beauty in your life about what He has done. He hasn't, he hasn't come and wooed you to follow Him I will follow you, this great experience of grace. No, you're still rolling in, I will follow myself. You can't have it both ways. You either trust in Jesus or you have no reason for Jesus, in which case you're obligated to obey the whole law. And we have seen clearly that that's just not possible. The law actually what it does is it identifies your failures and it condemns you. It constantly whispers to you, you missed the mark. You didn't live up to it. You fell short. You will continue to fall short. You must try harder. You must clean this up. You must upgrade that. You've got to start again. And it crushes and it condemns. But grace freely acknowledges failure. It doesn't try to gloss over our shortcomings. It acknowledges that they are there, that you do fall short, that you will continue to fall short. But what grace does is it acknowledges it while at the same time covering it in Christ. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to prove yourself. You just trust that Jesus has done that. And so grace catches you in the drift. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Hey, 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 Mason, you're kind of rolling back into a bit of legalism here. Or you're kind of rolling back into a bit of licensee. What, you think you've got again? Grace allows us to pray, Abba, Father, Father, would your spirit uh, in this warm my heart with affection for Jesus over all other things, over all other claims, over all other voices in my life. That's you trusting the gospel. That's you standing firm in the gospel, that's you standing firm against the drift. Grace says, get up, keep following, it's covered. Paul continues on in verse 5 to say, that rather rather than strive and toil to maintain and, and gain our acceptance and approval of God, the presence of the Spirit allows us to wait eagerly. That is, not work for our righteousness, but rest in full confidence, hope that we are already approved and accepted by God. That's what righteousness is, approved and accepted by God. And that is a fixed thing. It's not something that we work hard for. It's something we rest in, something we wait in. This word hope that we find here uh, in, in our Bibles, in the Greek, it originally meant total assurance, It does not carry the English sense of not sure. I hope hope the weather's fine tomorrow, but I'm not sure. That's not the sense of this word in in its original setting. It meant total assurance. Our total assurance that we are already justified and adopted makes us excited to meet Jesus who who did this for us. like we're just waiting with eager anticipation of when it all becomes real. This waiting, though, is not the absence of of participation in life, but the absence of fear-based participation. It's eagerly participating in the life that we're called to because it is now freed from the worry of getting it wrong, of of have we done enough, Uh, are we good enough? No, we, we already know that all those questions don't matter anymore because Christ has made us righteous. No other religion or worldview is this confident. They are all, oh, I'm not sure. I don't know if God will be happy with me. Oh, it all depends on what sort of a mood he's in when I'm Him. I'm not sure if I've done enough or, or I'm not sure if I've done too much bad. No, in Christ you are set free from these concerns to live under a radically new motive of love. Love casts out fear. Love motivates faith. So he says neither circumcision, the performing of religious duty, you being good, nor uncircumcision, the practice of immorality, your being bad, gets you any closer or any further away from God. They are both equally uh, valueless and they are both equally dead. Neither of them can change your heart. What changes your heart, what brings us closer to the Father, what gives us confidence of our acceptance is faith. Faith that has come into being by being loved by Jesus. This is what has set us free. Verse six, Paul says, and it's the first mention of love, and it's the, the final touches on the marks of what Paul would call a justified believer. If you want to look at his language a bit, if Paul was to sum up what how would you sum up the the life of a Christian? He would say faith, hope, and love. They're the markers. Love is the evidence of saving faith and assured hope. Faith literally energises love. Love is the fruit, if you like, of saving faith. As John writes in his letter in 1 John 4, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation uh, for our sin. We love because we've first been loved. We, we, we can be loving because we've experienced a certain kind of love. The love for Christ sets us free to be loving, selfless people. That's where Paul's moving. That's what he's moving into. As Paul says in Second Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live should those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again the love of god in christ his work on the cross his word in your heart changes you it's no longer you who live but but christ who lives in you who loved you gave his life for you this encounter of grace makes you a different creature. You set free to love. Neither legalism, religious rule-keeping, moralism, nor licentiousness, license, just doing what feels good can produce love in a person because both legalism and license are fundamentally selfish and insecure systems And what they tend to do is they tend to breed competitiveness and rivalry in people because you can't be for someone else because you are so consumed with yourself, you're so interested in yourself, so busy with are you good enough or are you bad enough? Selfless love is the ultimate expression of freedom. We aren't going to spend too much time... uh, in verses 7 to 12, but suffice to say, uh, actually I kind of like these verses, that this is Paul's partial fury surfacing again. He's astonished, he's perplexed that that these Christians would kind of entertain this idea. He is basically saying, given what you have known and experienced, why would you let these tools come on in here with their empty religious systems and come and rob you of your faith and your hope and your love? I often say, and Sandy gets into me like, I have this expression like, if you want to come in here and die, it's going to punch you in the throat. Paul says, I wish they were emasculated. So I kind of feel a little like I'm not as violent as Paul. It's a pretty colourful expression, but it illustrates his disgust at this false gospel and his passion for his church. He wishes that these false teachers would cease from existence, literally, that their line of thinking that they would just not go on anymore. How do I do that? Ah. Have I got the wrong... Don't worry about it. (laughs) Me and technology. We skip through that and Paul returns... uh, to what freedom calls us into, in verses 13 to 15. And that is not a freedom to self-indulge. That is not it. This is what they're worried about. But it's a freedom to serve in love. This is what it calls you into. The greatest evidence that you have been visited by grace is that, that you have a saving faith that, in Jesus that just rests in hope, you know, that is secure and you're confident in it, is that you love those who are both easy and hard to love equally. One of the most transformative things about the gospel of Jesus Christ is it sets you free to celebrate other people, to make much of other people, to love the gifts in other people. We, we celebrate when people excel. We, we rejoice when, when people excel Uh, overcome sin. That's the evidence of God's grace in your heart. Conversely, uh, when people around us, here's another evidence of it, uh, when people around us fail, uh, when they fall, our response is that we grieve with them. We get in and under them and we cry with them. We cry out on their behalf, Abba, Father. We are free to do this because our standing before God, how God feels about us, cares about us, loves us, seeks us, is not tied to them at all, but rather to Jesus. So that sets us free to love and to serve other people. But what happens when, 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 when how we understand ourselves is attached to other people? What happens when love is not the motive and the means that unites the church, but legalism and license has its way within a community of people? Well, we bite and devour each other, Paul says. We become like wild animals, again, in this Again, I think Matt Chandler expresses this well. When you are operating out of legalism or license, you are walking in a fear-based motivation and insecurity. So, here's what he says. So, other people's growth is a threat to you because it shows uh, you where you are in comparison to them. It shows where you are in comparison to their maturity or their holiness, and it threatens you. It doesn't give you any joy So other people's maturing doesn't bring you joy. It actually threatens you. Likewise, when people's failure comes, people who roll in legalism, rules and that, or license, they they, they take some kind of joy in other people's failures, in other people's uh, falling. It makes them glad because all of a sudden they feel a little more holy than the person beside them. They're comforted by that. They celebrate it. And we make sure that everybody else knows about it as we gossip, you know, pray for them. What it does is it sees brothers and sisters not as co-heirs, not as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as competition. Like two kinds of kids trying to earn the approval of daddy. And it sets us against each other, not for each other. Hey, if that, creep, if, you, if, you, if, you, if that creeps in, you have got to kill it immediately. But love sets us free to be selfless for others because we don't have daddy issues. We know we are loved despite our goodness, uh, our failures. We don't have to compare. We just simply remind ourselves of the gospel. That's how we kill it. That's how we put it, to death. God has already declared you as holy and blameless. He has. And in his adopting work, he's declared to the, to the whole entire universe, you are his. Doesn't matter about anything. And listen, he delights in you. He's proud of you, loves you, cherishes you. You are co-heir with Christ and all that he has. It doesn't change because your kids are in juvie and Joan's kids are in advanced Bible studies at Melbourne School of Theology. You are set free in Christ to rest, to wait, to delight and to hope in Christ and love and celebrate others doing likewise. You get that. Is it? Hey, let's wrap this up. We can get into 16 to 25 next week. I know that's going to drive Steve on the thingo who does our Rosses just nuts. Basin. the whole goal of Galatians is, is that you would see who you are in Christ, that you would be set free from fear-based religion, that you would be set free from um, entitlement, entitlement-rich thinking, selfishness, where your meaning is based in performance, where your meaning comes out of praise from other people. The beckoning of this book is to get out of or to stand firm against the yoke of that kind of slavery and to get in to, for the first time perhaps, or to remain in, to stand firm in sonship. You are are a child of God. That's the offer on the table for us all. The glad submission to Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters, no longer slaves. We have been set free from fear-based, behavioural modification into love-motivated pursuit of God. Of what our heart wants most, we are set free. Set free to do whatever we want. Augustine said, "Love God, and do whatever you like." You, you mean I'm free to do whatever I want, go wherever I want, say whatever I want, be whatever I want. Mm. In Christ, you are free. We will follow you. Let's pray, Lord. There is, um some amazing uh, freedom in this passage that if we, could, if we could just get our hearts around it, we would just live radically different lives where we would just be set free from the, the, the inhibitions of self to just go and love you and love others. And our prayer here today is that if we are uh, trapped, still trapped, never known Christ, still trapped in the idea that we have to somehow earn our way into God's favour or, or that we can, or somehow that we, it that doesn't matter, we can be our own gods, that the beauty of Christ would transform our hearts, that we would respond and say, I will follow you. And for the rest of us who know what it is to know Christ, that, and every now and again when we drift, when we slide, into legalism or, or we slide into license that 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 your spirit would grab our heart and say, Hey, hey you set free in Christ. Don't don't be like that. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.